When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And I'm Sophie Robinson. And thanks as ever to our sponsor, Geberit. Now, we're all used to technology in the home by now. Fridges that tell you when the milk's gone off, lights you control from your phone. But smart tech is gaining popularity in the bathroom too. Yes, and our sponsor, Geberit, is at the forefront of innovation with the AquaClean shower toilet. Did you know they sold the very first one way back in 1978, which was, I can't believe it, over 40 years ago. Yeah, yeah, you're going to say it seems like only yesterday. Well, all right, let's just say I remember it quite clearly. <laughs> anyway, Geberit was ahead on that because now over 77% of Japanese homes have a shower loo and the UK looks set to follow. And tech advances don't stop there. The shower loo not only, you know, gives you a little shower, the Geberit's Duo Fresh Odour Extraction Unit is set to eliminate... <laughs> I really don't need to hear any more. Thank you very much. Needless to say, Geberit has a whole range of innovative options to help you and your home feel fresh. And you can find out more at geberit.co.uk. Now, in today's episode, we have an interview with Marianne Schillingford, Creative Director of Dulux and a real international tastemaker when it comes to all things colour and paint. And as part of our occasional series, we're going to revamp your kitchen. And in the star surgery, we'll be discussing sticking curtain poles. But for our first topic, we wanted to turn our attention to something quite different. I'm sure all of you will know by now about George Floyd, the African-American man who died in police custody on the 25th of May, and the wave of protests across the US and the UK that have been sparked by his death. Minneapolis is a long way away, but the horrifying impact of racism is not. It's everywhere. And that's why we want to start a conversation, even here on an Interiors podcast. Because the fact of the matter is, here in the UK, Interiors has a problem with diversity. Now, this is a difficult thing for everyone to talk about, and we apologise if we don't get it right, but we feel it's really important to try. We are recording just after Blackout Tuesday, which was a movement that happened on Instagram. And while we ordinarily plan segments way in advance, we've decided to turn this around really quite fast. So... I want you to be prepared for the fact that this is just a start, but we felt it was really important to respond 
not what's just going on in the world, but also the conversations that are being had in our own interior design community. For our listeners who are really disappointed that we haven't tackled this sooner, I personally would really like to apologise for that. And for any of our other listeners who are confused why Kate and I aren't just resuming our normal cushioned chat, it's because we felt that it would be a really useful space to hear from some of those voices in our design community who aren't getting the platform that they deserve. So for once, we're going to withhold our own opinions, because there's usually loads of those, and just hear from some of those voices in our own community. So we're going to share a selection of the messages and comments we've been sent over the last few days from journalists, from bloggers, from producers and from established and aspiring designers themselves. First up, here's Gemma Samuels, who set up her own interior design business, which you can find at Happy with an I, Habitat, on Instagram. She also offers e-design and has a very useful YouTube video on 10 steps on getting into interior design. Hello to everyone listening in and thanks to Kate and Sophie for giving me the opportunity to share my views. When I toyed with the idea of becoming an interior designer and starting a design business, my internal beliefs that black people were not and could not be interior designers almost stopped me from pursuing this career. And when I asked myself why, why did I have this belief? The answer is in part lack of representation. I couldn't see anyone who looked like me working in the industry. I'm sure there were and are many, but I couldn't see them because they just aren't being represented. In publications, on design panels, TV shows, trade shows, the list goes on. It begs the question, why? Why are we not being represented? Why are we so often overlooked? I, of course, cannot answer that, but I'm hoping that all those who have the power to facilitate change will take the necessary steps to be more inclusive. Featuring us in publications inviting us to events, endorsing us with products, considering us for design panels, collaborating and sharing our work. All these actions will make a difference if it becomes part of the norm and not just a one-off act because Black Lives Matter is currently trending. After all, recognising and helping to raise the profile of good interior design and designers should be based on talent and merit alone. There are many, many talented Black interior designers out there putting out great work. We deserve a seat at the table too. Gemma started her own interior design business, not least to avoid having to jump through endless hoops to find a job. But we've heard many stories of the appalling obstacles people of colour face applying for work. I put something up on Instagram reflecting on the issue of feeling like you can't fulfil your dreams and aspirations due to the colour of your skin. And Melody got in touch with me via Instagram, her handles at Mel, and this is what she had to say. I literally burst into tears as I'm replying to you at 4am in Ireland and feeling like you took the words right out of my chest. It's unfathomable to some to even connect that to racism, discrimination or dehumanisation. Since I graduated from college as an interior designer, one of three of the top students with distinction, I found it harder and harder to explain why I'm still unemployed in my area of study, yet my classmates, all white, have a year's working experience under their belts. The hundreds of applications I stopped counting, and not one single interview at the least. It has baffled those close to me. It's difficult to explain to them that a foreign name on a CV application can make a difference in your progress in life and it's even harder to prove. 
Angie also reached out to me. She's on Instagram as at something blue home. And she says, I managed to get a gig assisting with an interior styling role. I arrived at the shoot and after some weird stares, I was told that the homeowner didn't feel comfortable with having me in her home. I never heard back from the stylist again. I guess you could say, well, this, that or the other happened. But it was very clear that the homeowner had a problem with me being a person of colour and I simply cannot think of any other reason. I'm not looking for sympathy or a response about it, but I guess I'm just trying to highlight. Perhaps this might be why people of colour choose to avoid this path. Angie also talked about trying to get internships with a design studio. She says... I finally spoke to one lady who said, yes, she was looking for an intern, quite desperately, actually, for a huge project she'd taken on and I should send my CV in and she would meet me the following Monday. I was so excited and I did send her my CV. My CV has a small picture of me because it's a creative CV. After I sent it, I didn't hear back and I called her again and my goodness, it was like speaking to a different person. She then told me that there are no vacancies and there are no longer recruiting. I then got a friend of mine, a Caucasian friend, to go in and ask about this vacancy. She spoke to the lady who said, yes, I am recruiting. It was so devastating. I cried for weeks. There's countless other smaller examples. I haven't bothered. I've actually given up completely. And it's not just the design side of things, but the writing and the blogging too. Delali Foley is an interior designer whose blog has been shortlisted for, among others, the industry favourite, the Amara Interior Blog Awards. You can find her site on decorbydelali.uk or at decorbydelali on Instagram. Interior design in the UK has traditionally been a white upper middle class domain. Though blogging opened the field and made it much more accessible, it maintained its status quo. PRs responsible for a brand's products are majority white women. They reach out to bloggers and influencers who look like them, who they relate to, whose aesthetic aligns with their own, and who they're comfortable with. It's easy and it requires minimal effort, so they stay in these bubbles of whiteness, possibly with one or two black, Asian, non-white women in the mix. But there'll be massive bloggers or influencers who everybody knows, so there's still a comfort level there. For a number of brands, no matter how many times I was told my details were added to their list, I wouldn't get updates, invitations, or even basic press releases. I put this down to assumptions and an unwillingness to see past what they're used to. Assumption. Because I'm black, my audience must also be black. Many brands' PRs don't see us as their audience or demographic. As a result, we're not considered or just straight up ignored. We're usually viewed as one big block. Black people, black women, instead of women who love interior design, who love DIY, or who love gardening. We are multifaceted, but we're often just reduced to one group. And that group is seemingly of no interest to most brands and PRs in this space. Many times my emails for requests to PRs and brands would be ignored. Then I got used to going to events and being the only or one of a few black people present. I got used to sometimes being treated differently at these events, not greeted in the same way as other guests, spoken to rudely. It actually stopped me from blogging for quite a while because it became too much work. Having to justify your existence in every part of your life, every single day, is exhausting. So I stopped. Poonam Sharma writes the Modern Lux blog, modernlux.co.uk and at modernlux on Instagram, where she shares updates on the renovation of her Victorian home. 
I've attended a few Insta Meetup and product launches in the past. And if I'm going to be really honest, there's times when I've looked around the room and I can't help but to notice that I might be the only brown face there. It does make me question, and I know the answer, I can't possibly be the only black stroke Asian person in interiors on Instagram. And the answer simply isn't about making sure that brands invite the token ethnic person. It's about recognising the world we live in now and seeking out different perspectives. We're a nation of people from all colours, walks of life, with different experiences and opinions. So this really should be represented. An example is, last year, the UK Interior Awards Programme only included white judges. And it wasn't until Medina Grillo an ethnic influencer who raised the issue of diversity, that this was changed. It shouldn't be for any single person to remind people or brands to include ethnic groups and diversity. It really should be a given. Personally, I think brands have a real opportunity to listen and respond. And in reality, some brands will listen and take action, but sadly, others will just do what they've always done. Terry-Ann Tilston has more advice for brands. She's a designer based in Fife. She's at terryanntilston.com and at terryanntilston underscore interior design on Instagram. She was also a contestant on last year's BBC programme Interior Design Masters. She sent us this to read out. I came into the industry later on in life, having had a career as a litigation lawyer previously, another industry severely lacking in diversity. So sadly, I'm no stranger to this problem. So what steps can be taken? Well, there are numerous things which can be done. Event organisers need to ensure that when they are inviting designers, they are actively inviting people from typically underrepresented groups, not just tokenism, but a genuine good mix of talented people. If brands are reaching out to work with designers and giving them a platform, they need to check themselves and ask if they are actively representing a diverse range of designers or are they falling into the trap of giving the same faces the same opportunities. So gatekeepers need to be held to account. That includes brands, PRs, event organisers, publishers. But this goes beyond that. There's a profound shift needed in all our minds. Rukmini Patel is an interior designer working in and around London and specialising in residential renovation. Her website, rukminipatel.com, and her Instagram is Rukmini Patel Interior Design. She sent me this message. I'm British Indian, third generation, and I rarely get white clients. The mentalities in our individual communities need to be encouraged to seek out the right designer and not look at their skin colour first. I say this because a lot of Asians come to me without even looking at my portfolio. It's ridiculous. They only come to me because I'm Indian, but for all the wrong reasons. And actually, the stylist, Sarita Sharma, who has worked with Everyone from Habitat, and I promise you, she'll have done a photo shoot for pretty much every interior design magazine here in the UK. Uh, you can find her on Instagram at Sarita Stylist. Um, but she sent me a message raising the issue of what we mean when we talk about nude colours, which is a word that gets bandied around a lot within interior design. She says, which skin tone would most people point to if asked to choose a nude paint colour? Whenever a client requests a nude wall colour, I want to ask what colour person's nude are you talking about? But I don't. Well, not yet. 
We all need to question our assumptions. For example, Jack Stone, who is a designer and founder of Persona Abode Interiors, personaabodeinteriors.com, says people often assume that she's a consumer until she shows her trade pass. Or people often think she's in the wrong place when she turns up at events, presumably because they just don't connect someone who looks like her with the industry. But she also sees some positive signs. She says, Social media paints a different view. This is where I came across a myriad of black designers in the US. I was welcomed into their fold, which gave me the extra encouragement that I can actually carve design out as a career. And in recent years, the organisation Black Artists and Designers Guild, alongside the magazine Curated Quarters, were established as points of reference for people to purposefully find black creatives to hire, collaborate with or simply be exposed to. Not just in America, but worldwide, including the UK. Of course, I remain hopeful the industry will evolve and actively become more inclusive. Well, let's hear now from a few people who have had some experience of trying to kickstart the evolution in different parts of the industry. Basola Evans is a writer, journalist and the associate editor of Living Etc. I think it's always important to do some level of self-analysis, whether as a brand or an individual. And last year, we recognised at Living Etc. that we could do better at reflecting the country we're living in. Since then, we've been more active in bringing in as many diverse faces and voices to our editorial as possible. It's always a work in progress, but it all makes for a much rounded, inclusive and ultimately better magazine. In my experience, Black people in interiors, usually women, often shy away from talking up their skills, their experience, their businesses. It's an issue women have in general, but um, this can be magnified when you throw the racial elements into the mix. So this is a great opportunity for them to champion their work. And I really hope the general sea change and the increased awareness of the importance of equality will open more doors and simply make clear that black people are just as worthy of their place in this industry. And here's Roby Dutter, who was executive producer of the BBC's DIY SOS for six years. We tried to find different stories in the overall mix of what we did. Our biggest ever build around Grenfell, a triple amputee veteran originally from the Gambia, and regular builds for people like a Filipino nurse working in the NHS and a gay couple who adopted disabled children. These stories helped broaden the mix of what we did and reflect the country better. We also tried to build a diverse production team as well. Maybe this applies to design too. Sometimes it's not easy to find diverse talent. You have to go out there and make an effort to find it and nurture it as it may not be fully formed, but it's an important and rewarding thing to do. I've had the pleasure of working with Roby and the team at DIYSOS and it's really true on all of the TV programmes that I've worked on, DIYSOS, the Great Interior Design Challenge, Design Masters. Part of the casting protocol is to find people of diverse backgrounds and uh, we mustn't underestimate the impact that that has. And now let's hear from Eva Sanaika, the creative director and founder of the interiors company named after her. You can find it at evasanaika.com. And her products have been stocked worldwide in shops like Liberty and Selfridges in London and equally prestigious stores in New York, Dubai, Lagos, Hong Kong and so on. She's finding success herself, but for her, that comes with a responsibility. I'm working internationally at trade shows in the scene and what makes me really, really sad and also frustrated about this issue 
that there is not a lot of representation of black designers. I'm often the only one at trade shows. It's um, lonely, it's frustrating, and I think it's really difficult for people to get a foot in the door. I um, come across so many young, aspiring designers or, you know, textile designers, um, photographers who want to have a foot in the door, but really can't get in. There's no way for them to come in. And it is because I think the industry is still very, very, very biased. And I think there needs to be change, not just here in the UK, I think on the global um, interior design scheme that it's opening its door to everyone who, you know, has a talent and has something to say and brings something to the table. For me, as a black designer of African descent, it means that we have to be role models and have to, first of all, we have to work 10 times as hard from, you know, very, very early age. When you go to school, your mother tells you to work 10 times as hard to achieve as much as um, non-black people would achieve. But on top of that, obviously, I also often try to recruit um, staff of African, Afro-Caribbean descent, you know, in order to give them and open the door for them to, you know, get a foot in the door. Because I think it's also really important for us to support people and give them the opportunities they would potentially otherwise not have. Charmaine White is a designer at the White House Interiors and reached the quarterfinals of the Great Interior Design Challenge back in 2015. I remember Charmaine. She oh, she was brilliant. So super talented. But like Eva, she's frustrated by the lack of diverse faces and the fact that it's still an issue. I've never promoted myself as a Black-owned business. As far as I'm concerned, I'm a designer. When I go to trade shows and industry events, I very rarely see vendors, designers or creatives that are black or have non-white faces, sometimes to the point where I've wondered if they even exist or if it was just me. In the USA, there is a Black Interior Designers Network and I've wondered if we should have something like that here. But then, I don't see why it should be a separate entity. However, if things don't change, this may be the only option. I think Charmaine raises a really interesting point here. And I went to the British Institute of Interior Design and asked them what their thoughts or indeed policy was about diversity within the interior design community. And this is what they said. The BIID recognises that diversity and inclusivity are serious issues for all professions, including interior design. We want to make sure that the professional interior design industry is a place where black, Asian and minority ethnic designers can flourish and enjoy successful careers free of racial discrimination. The BIID is actively looking into steps we can take to influence the industry in this important matter. Now, acclaimed interior designer Simon Hamilton, who was indeed the international director of the BIID between 2010 and 2014, he's written the book, Listen, Design and Inspire, and is a visiting tutor for many design schools, as well as giving numerous talks and presentations about design all over the world. Throughout my long career, I've worked abroad, but predominantly in the heart of London's design districts. In the West, these have been mainly Kensington, Notting Hill, Chelsea and Knightsbridge, and eastwards they include Hackney, Shoreditch, Islington and Clerkenwell. At times, these areas can be direct opposites in terms of the designers who work there, types of projects undertaken, the mix of clients, as well as having different building types and budget limitations. However, in my experience, they have been equal in their lack of representation, inclusion and diversity when I've attended seminars, presentations, site meetings or pitch for work. Numerous times I've been in a minority of one or two, which is astounding, 
for a capital city as large and multicultural as London. Unfortunately, it's a similar story when I've visited other major cities like Milan, Chicago, Paris and Tokyo for design events. It would be encouraging to know that we can come out of this crisis with a new approach, which gives more opportunities to designers of every background. How do we ensure this changes in the future? Is it through better education or making sure that design is as embracing, responsible and accessible to all as it sets out to be? What's coming across clearly is the impact that visibility and role models can have on the next generation. Bavin Taylor is an interior designer based in London who offers residential and commercial interior design and styling services. You can find him at Bavin Taylor Design online and on Insta. When growing up as a British-born Indian, I did not have a role model that came from a similar cultural heritage that I could relate to. And unfortunately, I'm sad to say that bar one mixed-race face, this is still the case. It is extremely important that this is changed now, especially in areas such as television, the media, industry publications and industry events. Not only to showcase the various diverse backgrounds within interior design, but most important, to give the younger generation a variety of people to look up to, be inspired by and assist them in gaining the courage to believe that they too can follow their passion. It's time to start educating everyone that interior design is a diverse industry and that no one should be held back in being a part of it because they don't fit into the existing image of how the industry is currently being portrayed. And here's Camelia Odojukon, an interior designer specialising in family and children's interiors. Her website is coming soon, but she's already on Instagram at Mrs Odojukon. I remember as a child attending the Ideal Home Exhibition, which is now show, with my parents. It was packed, but I could probably count the amount of black people there on one hand. And the same prevails today, not necessarily with the Ideal Home show, but with design shows in general. More needs to be done to actively seek out and include talented black interior designers in magazines, companies, brand partnerships and podcasts. We hear you, Camelia. But for now, we'd like to play you one more clip. Michelle Agunderhin is an internationally known writer, brand consultant, trend forecaster and TV presenter. She was editor-in-chief of Elle Decoration for 13 years and her latest book, Happy Inside, was published earlier this year. She's also head judge on the BBC's Interior Design Masters. We asked for her thoughts. So why isn't there more diversity in design? Such a seemingly simple question, but one, I think, with a very complex cause. And one that I think stems from our non-white children not believing, perhaps, that they could succeed in design or fit in or be welcomed. So for myself, I recognise that my response to this dilemma, the one authentic thing that I could do as a woman of colour is to get back into offering mentoring to those young children, to tell them that they must never let anyone diminish the fire of their potential, least of all themselves, and that there is no reason whatsoever that they cannot do whatever it is that they want to do, none. But also to remember that we all fail sometimes. Everyone faces knockbacks, but you have to pick yourself up, try again, and just move on. 
And in that same way, if one door closes, you find another to open. And if you believe that that door closed because of your race, and on this I'm very firm, then you do not want to work for that place anyway. You save your energy, divert it straight back into your wonderful self and don't waste it battering down an unappreciative door. And so in this way, we teach our children to respect themselves and honour their passion by just starting. And so I would hope we start to undermine any small grain of doubt that they could ever not be worthy enough to work in what I believe to be a truly magnificent profession and industry. Listening to Michelle talk reminds me of one of my own experiences when I was a judge on BBC's The Great Interior Design Challenge. And while I was a judge on that show, yes, I'd get loads of messages from people frustrated that we just eliminated their favourite contestant. But it wasn't until the show got taken over to America with Netflix that I started getting quite a few stinging messages calling me out as a racist because a black contestant had been eliminated off the show. But it was one mother's message in particular that really struck home and she explained that her daughter loved the programme but she'd really taken note that the majority of the lineup, indeed the finalists and the winners, were all white and what she deduced from this, that interior design wasn't a place for her. So that really sat with me and as a result, I did make changes to my business But I can understand I really didn't and haven't done enough. Thanks for saying that, Sophie. And thanks to everyone who's taken the time to share their thoughts and their experiences with us for this part of the show. Do keep getting in touch with us. Keep having the conversations with us and let us know your thoughts. You can always find us on Instagram where I'm mad about the house and she's Sophie Robinson Interiors or join in the discussion over on the Great Indoors podcast Facebook group. And just to summarise, really, um, some of the messages that I'm really hearing coming out from all the voices that we've heard today is quite clearly representation is very much at the core here. Seeing your face within this industry so you feel that this is a career that you can follow and that there needs to be much more of a grassroots movement, a a clear pathway for people to feel that they can follow to even enter this industry. And then generally, I think what I'm taking from here is we could all do with a lot more compassion around this topic and be open to more understanding. But for now, let's move on to our next topic. Marianne Shillingford's career spans over 25 years. She studied art, ran her own interiors company, became artistic director of the National Design Academy and branched into journalism and TV. At Dulux, as creative director, she's part of the Colour Futures team, the hugely influential global colour trend forecast. And she's created the Colour and Design Awards to encourage a new generation of designers. Sophie had a chat with her. 
Marianne, hi, and welcome to the Great Indoors podcast. It's lovely to have you on. It's great to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Now, first up, uh, we've been talking about diversity in our industry at the top of this show, and it's not lost on me that we're jumping straight into a conversation with two white women, but I really (laughs) value your experience and your knowledge within our industry. So I'm going to go straight hard in with you, Marianne. First up, I'd love to know your insights into how you see this playing out in the interior design industry, you know, before and going forward. Yeah, I mean, I I founded the Colour and Design Awards, which is something that rewards and recognises great colour, use of colour in design. And it's about young people, new people coming into the industry and seeing what they're doing. And in the last couple of years, I have to say, I have seen more people of a greater diversity of background. There still aren't enough people with a different story to tell of their culture and their background, but there is something happening out there. Um, there's a greater confidence. And, and if you think about it, Sophie, what is the most risky thing a young person can do with their future is to invest in a precarious industry like ours, to invest all of your time, your money in a precarious industry, it takes confidence. And I think that's probably what we need to encourage more confidence uh, that there is something for for anybody at the end of a long period of study uh, when you have a creative streak. So it's our job. <laughs> it's, it is our job to help this next generation on. And I think, as you, you, know, you said earlier, we, you know, we're white, privileged, middle-class women here and we have a role to play and, you know, we need to play it more, play our hand more. Tell me more about the Colour in Design Awards. This sounds like a brilliant hotbed of creativity, fresh ideas. What's coming through and bubbling up through them? Well, the Colour in Design Awards were launched to reward and recognise amazing use of colour in design by new emerging designers. And it was something that I'm very passionate about because I think colour, like you, um, changes everything, transforms everything. And it's a language that we all speak. Um, And I noticed that it was one of those elements of design that people thought was more aesthetic than really quite fundamental. And I I, I totally disagree. It's completely fundamental. And one of the things that I've found in the last few years, um, and one of the great pleasures of the Colour and Design Award, is I get to meet hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of new designers using colour to do extraordinary things um, and to change uh, the outcomes of design and using colour for positive good. So... What I've seen is very recently that one of the most exciting things about colour is how colour can can make people feel good. Uh, I met a fantastic designer the other day. She was creating exercise equipment for children who have disabilities. And the exercise equipment was so beautiful to look at. And each colour represented a different exercise they had to do. And she'd used colour to communicate and to engage and entertain and, and to make something beautiful. So it was colour beyond aesthetic. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because I know in that sector, for example, you know, I do a lot of work with DIY SOS and Mm -hmm. quite often the families need quite a lot of equipment for either themselves or their children, their household. Mm -hmm. And it's breaking away from that hospital grey, isn't it, within that whole area and making things that are have got a use and a purpose. Yes, they work, but there's this whole other layer of, like you say, using colour pattern design. 
to make them work on an emotional level as well. Yeah, and colour to engage. And that's what the Colour and Design Awards is is looking for. When can our listeners look out for those? Well, we're launching uh, them this year through New Designers. So I think it's on the 30th of June. All of the graduates have been working. Yep. So graduates have been working in design um, for the last year, can submit their work into uh, the New Designers or the Colour and Design website uh, for a chance to win a Colour and Design Award. And so we're looking for designers who are using colour beyond aesthetics, colour that have a measurable positive effect on the outcome of the designer and, and on the user. I'm going to get all the links from you off that. And oh, we'll that definitely would be lovely. Be putting those Brilliant. in our show notes and Brilliant. on the blog. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> that sounds incredible. So, I mean, I'm completely on the same page as you with colour. I love colour. And again, not just because it looks pretty, but because of the emotional impact it has, especially when we bring it into our homes. And I think um, I'm aware, and I'm sure you are too, that a lot of people feel very stopped when it comes to picking (laughs) colours. There can be some real roadblocks and anxieties about (laughs) getting the right colour. What will it look, you know, that little paint chip, what will that actually look like when it gets rolled out on four walls? Will I go off it? Will it date? Should I listen to, you know, there's a lot of anxiety and questions around picking a paint colour. you got any, like, hate the word tips, but I'm going to use it anyway. <laughs> One of the things that we find easiest to do is buy things, small things that we can move around our house and small things that we sort of, we seem to be, to live with for years and years. But it, when it comes to committing to something big, like a single colour, that's when we get scared. But... If you look to the small things, a piece of art, a beautiful cushion, something that you've had and you lived with for years, that's where it is. That's where that magic colour lives. And so using a a tool like a colour picking tool from the visualiser to be able to pick those colours out of those things you love and see them on the walls, that's where the journey starts. So it's kind of... Oh, tell us more about your visualiser. Well, the visualiser... You skimmed over that, but that sounds interesting. (laughs) So I've got my cushion that I really, really love. Yeah. And it's got all the colours and tones that I love. And I'm like, how can I use this cushion or painting, whatever it might be, to create a room scheme? Well, the visualiser is an app you can download onto your phone. It's a free app. And what you do, it has a colour picking tool. And so you can hover your phone over your beautiful piece of artwork or your gorgeous cushion, and it will match colours up to Dulux colours. And it will also offer you coordinating colours that will work beautifully well together. So it's a colour matcher, but it's also, it's a colour coordinator. And so instantly you have this wonderful snapshot of how that large amount of colour is going to look without having to go and buy any paint. I mean, wow. But I'd say you've still got to buy the tester pot, no? I always, <laughs> I'm so, I've just made those problems pot. I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> Testers are always great, but that whole being able to see something immediately just gives you a sense of whether you're going to like it or not, and I think that's quite interesting. It's particularly interesting when people are using strong colour, and it's been wonderful, hasn't it, to see strong colour has, I think, really being embraced. Yes, people have yep. really moved out of the beige zone. It's fabulous. Yep. But I think, especially with the dark colours... People can kind of like sit on the fence and go, okay, I'll just do one wall in it because, you know, it's quite, Mm. it's a dark colour. So I'll do one wall, I'll keep the rest of the room white. And I feel like sometimes people are straddling the... Mm. What is it you want? Do you want a light room or do you want a yeah. dark room? I agree. It's like you can't be half married. You know, you can't be in the bed and have one foot on the floor. So, you know, do the whole room, paint the whole room mm. and, and go for it. And and I think that's another way that the visualiser can show you what that's going to look like before you do it. So start with one and then see how it's going to look. But I, I, I think commitment. <laughs> Let's commit. <Yeah. laughs> Let's commit. <laughs> Let's commit. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, no, definitely. And I think um, I, I, this also links up to what you were talking about earlier about what do you, how do you want to feel in a room? And I think, you know, then again, if you want to feel like it's cosy, dramatic, I don't know, glamorous, cosseting, it's a four wall strategy, right? That A feature wall ain't going to cut it. No, it's but not. But if you want your room to feel uplifting and light and airy and spacious then that's a different colour again, isn't it? So it's understanding how colour changes the feel in a yeah. space, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we'd, I've just been doing a, a thing about colour uh, and how it t- it's affected by natural light because colour is just different visible wavelengths of light. And so a morning room might not take those dark colours. A, a room where you wake up in the morning and you, you want energy just won't take those dark colours. But if you're a night owl, then that's when those dark colours really come to life. I mean, I, I think we're all finding it hard to sleep at the moment and I think we're worried about stuff and we need to surround ourselves and if we're decorating your house why not choose the colours that will help you relax and help you sleep and help you feel good so we can decorate these elements of happy and contentment into our lives and I know that sounds trite but actually when you understand how powerful colour is and what effect it has on on us every day um, you can realise it's such a simple tool to change you know the outcome of the spaces in which we live. If you have that problem mm-hmm. like with sleeping, me and my husband actually, we're yin and yang. I sleep too much and can't get up and he can't sleep at all. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got, and we share a bedroom. Let, let's focus on Tom for a minute, someone who really struggles sleeping. Yeah. What colour palette would you recommend for somebody who's got that busy brain who can't switch off? Yeah, I think we need the colours of the night, the colours of the forest, uh, you know, deep emerald greens, the inky blues of night. Uh, and I think if you can commit to those colours in a bedroom and even actually, dare I say it, the deep dark greys um, where you have no visual stimulation of colour where it just it's mm. really like turning the sound off um, and those colours are beautiful like the mute button yes yeah, the mute button on there's a mute button on colour and I think that sometimes we're terrified of those colours because it makes something dark but actually you want to use colour that doesn't stimulate some colours act like naughty children in the room and demand attention and as soon as you've got something like that in the room then you're going to find it hard to concentrate on anything let alone sleep for some people tranquility is a soft biophilic green uh, these beautiful colours that blur the indoors and out and for some people quiet colours are dark colours the colours of the night and you can combine those two by having a really dark deep um, emerald green which um, I've been experimenting with there's a beautiful colour called emerald glade and oh my goodness it's just it's ridiculous it when the light <laughs> when, the, when the light shines on it so so you, you see it at night and it looks amazing and so it looks almost black but in the daytime when the, when the sunshine hits it oh god it's just gorgeous oh it comes alive <gasps> it's just lovely you can hear the birds tweeting you can hear the deer crunching across the, the, the bar mm. it's just beautiful beautiful colour so have, check that one Oh, yeah, 100%. That is fantastic stuff. Um, We talked about people needing the feeling to feel restored, Mm. secure, lower anxiety at this particularly extraordinary time that we're all living in. And I know you work at the core of colour trends within Dulux. Do Mm -hmm. you see, I mean, are you already having conversations on how you're going to react within colour and what colours we're going to need in our home as a result of the of the pandemic? Hugely important, and 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 we start this colour process, this forecasting process, uh, you know, a year and a half ahead. So we're looking at a year and a half ahead, and the most important influence on trends is the human condition. It's what do we want and need from our homes in the years ahead? And we've started to see, and global pandemic aside, we have started to see a return to the familiar and a return to nature. This reconnecting with the things that make us feel safe and 
insecure in an increasingly digital age where we are constantly bombarded by technology that we find hard to deal with, um, that we return to this familiar and these softer colours uh, of nature that blur the indoors and outdoors. And, and that has not changed and has become more and more interesting I mean, if you think about where do you want to stomp off to when you've just had an, an argument? You know, you want to stomp into the countryside. You want to go and take lungfuls of, of fresh air. You want to hide in the forest and where you want to dream and relax. And these beautiful organic colours, trends are affected by how we are coping with what's happening to us. So you're not seeing any big U-turn or you're not had to like no. evaluate? Because you, you assume you already know what the colour of the year for... 2021 is going to be. 2021, yes. And that's not going to change, that's still in line. Yeah, because we are still, as human beings, this this pandemic has knocked us off our tracks, but we were still on the same track. Uh, We're still worried about the environment. We're worried about technology. We're worried about artificial intelligence taking over our jobs. We're worried about the future, you know, what's what's happening to the planet, global warming, and all of these things. We still will come out of this pandemic with the same problems facing us. We'll actually probably come out of this pandemic with more care and love and attention to those smaller details because we've enjoyed them. We've enjoyed the peace, clean air. We've enjoyed connecting with our families. We've enjoyed even those homeschooling aside, Sophie, you know, we have enjoyed being with the kids more, you know. So there are amazing things we've learned. And I think as human beings, we're still on the same path. I couldn't agree more. So, Marianne, one of the most frustrating things about um, this current lockdown situation is we haven't been able to visit people in their homes. <laughs> and I have to say, I find myself really wanting to know what your home looks like. What does the guru of colour design, of insightful trends, you know, what do you have in your house? Oh, it would make you laugh. I live in an old factory, so we've got a floor of a factory that we converted um, and it is a huge space and it's full of fairground panels and fairground animals and I have jungle murals and there's one bedroom that I paint over and over and over again and I use a little studio. Uh, Their colour is like... um, a fluid thing. So if I decide one day I'm going to paint a wall, I will paint the wall and that's what I'll do and then we'll do something else. So I'm, it's a constant work in progress and you would, I think you would love it actually. <laughs> you would love it. It say, would make you laugh. That is the most, it would make you that laugh. That is the most extraordinary answer. That is the most extraordinary answer and you haven't disappointed me. <laughs> it always makes me laugh. I mean, People come in and they go, oh, oh really? <laughs> yes. And that is the reaction I think we should all be aiming for. I love that, Marianne. Thank you so much. You're so uplifting and inspiring and playful and it's just, quite frankly, what we all need right now. It is, it is. (laughs) Myself included. So thanks for giving me a boost. It's a great pleasure. Oh, thanks so much for that, Marianne. Um, So interesting, isn't it, to hear that the colour of the year for 2021 hasn't changed because, you know, we're so embedded in our duvet dens and in this lockdown that it feels that that's been our whole world for so long. And actually to hear her saying that's just one part of what's going on in the world and there's all these other issues. So it kind of gives us a bit of light, doesn't it, to look towards the end of this pandemic. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we've all been very focused on this immediate issue that's filling our feeds and our news feeds and our minds and restricting our livelihoods and disrupting everything. That It's nice, in a way, just to be reminded that this is only just one facet. 
So now continuing our series on room revamps, uh, today we're going to be in the kitchen, really sharing quick, easy, DIY styling tips on how you can give your kitchen a fresh, new, up-to-date look. How's your kitchen feeling, Kate? Is it feeling fresh? Is it feeling up-to-date? Well, <laughs> I live with two teenage boys, so let's not go there. <laughs> what I will say is I mentioned... Um, a few episodes back that I was kind of really drawn to that dirty yellow colour for kitchens. Oh and yeah, how's I, that going? Well, it's, well, I did, I floated that past the mad husband. Mm. I said, you know, because I was, I was doing a mood board. Don't ask. It doesn't happen often. And anyhow, I was doing this mood board. And so I'd got this kind of mustardy saffron yellow with this blush pink. And I was kind of really mm, nice. enjoying it. And the mad husband looked over my shoulder and he went, oh my God. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, oh, no, I don't think those two colours. I said, listen, love, you know nothing. Those two colours are brilliant. And what if I suggested, given that we've already got a pink wall in the kitchen, that we painted the cupboards in this colour? And that, I have to say, was the oft-mentioned marital veto. <laughs> um, it's not that You didn't even get it past the mood board stage. Didn't even get it past the mood board. It wasn't the yellow per se. It was the combination of the yellow and the pink. But actually, you see, I'm now coming over all Marianne. I'm feeling all green now. I've bought a Ooh. pair of emerald green trousers. You see? You see? You've done what? I have. Now, to be fair, they're about a mile too long for me. And so I haven't worn them because I did try and hem them myself, but I can't do it invisibly. So I've got to wait until the shop opens and I can have them professionally hemmed. So, what is uh, happening you during this I lockdown? I know. I really need to get out of lockdown. Seriously. <laughs> so Yellow kitchens, with that in mind, green trousers. With that in mind, I need you to give me a quick revamp idea because clearly my <laughs> cupboards isn't happening. So we all know you can paint your cupboards. What else you got for me? Well, yeah, we all, and we've talked about painting cupboards before, but let's talk about it because I tell you what, I've been hanging out on our Facebook group, the Great Indoors Podcast Facebook group, and people are going for it with the painted kitchens. It is a sight to behold. I'm so delighted. You know, there's it is such a transformational way to completely change the look of a space. And in a kitchen, if you can get some colour on all the base units and the wall units too, then you can create big impact. And what I'm seeing from our listeners who are on the Facebook group is they're going dark. They're going really strong on this. It's brilliant. It's navies and blacks and kind of really inky shades. Well, I've done that. I've had a dark grey oh, kitchen and a navy blue kitchen and now I've got a chocolate brown one. I was coming out the other side. Oh, well, maybe I don't have to. Well, in that case, I'll just sit back and let the rest of you revamp because I'm there. But, but just to summarise, just because we obviously are gaining new listeners all the time, when you are painting your kitchen units, there are some great products that I like to flag up. So first of all, if your kitchen's quite traditional or more country or more rustic, chalk paint all the way. No need to prep sand, prime, all that lengthy, boring stuff, you can just slap it on. And there's plenty of companies. We've had Annie Sloan on the show for one who give really good tutorials on how to do this. I'm going if to you interrupt want... you now yeah. well, just yeah. to say a point on that chalk paint because I have spoken to Annie herself on this and the painting a couple of coats is fine the paint is tough the key is the kind of lacquer finishing lacquer and she says ideally you should leave that for two weeks to cure now obviously it might not be possible to move out of your kitchen for that long but be aware 
as you're using your kitchen that you need to be very careful for a couple of weeks while that lacquer cures. And that will make it tough enough for your kitchen to last for ages. I'd say that's probably true of any paint, actually, because all paint... Um, needs time to cure. Um, another uh, great product to use, which is a great DIY product, is an undercoat called Sinza, which I think you can get online. Um, or I know some of the DIY stores are doing click and collect. And again, that's great. That can go on laminate. It can go on gloss. It can go on glass, wood, obviously. It can it's go on anything. It's quite difficult to apply, isn't it? We had a tin of it once and may, I don't know, maybe it was an old tin. It seemed a bit sort of gloopy and difficult to apply. Maybe no, I bought it. No, you did. Did I buy one tin. that was off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or you didn't mix okay. it. You've got to mix it with your mixing stick. Well, there you go. So buy the Zinza, but mix, and mix it properly. It. So and, it's meant uh, to and look you like can normal use paint. Like, um, like a gloss roller if you want a different finish, or you can drag your paintbrush through it if you want a more brushstruck finish. Anyway, so two great products: chalk paint and Zinza. and then you put your regular eggshell paint on top, uh, a water-based acrylic. Absolutely perfect. But as you were saying, wait until it goes hard before you start bashing those doors around. Um, but then, interestingly, just on the colour front and how confident people are colour, I just wanted to share this incredible reveal that was on the uh, the Facebook group. And we will share pictures of her kitchen on our blogs in the show notes. But Elizabeth Buckeridge has basically painted all her base units, all her wall units and her ceiling it looks black or like a really, really dark charcoal. It's so dramatic. And then, you know that space between the wall unit and the ceiling, that dead space you always get in a kitchen? Which I always say you should fill with cupboards so you don't have that dead space. But yeah, dead space. Well, clever clogs. She's got, <laughs> an, even, she's got an even a better idea. She's filled it with books. And nice. it looks so cool because the But can books, she reach the books? The, but the books really pop up against the black units and the black ceiling. You've just got this lovely stripe of book spines. I'm not interested in whether she's going to read them or not, Kate. They look fabulous. I'm totally interested in whether she's going to read them. I take your point that they look fabulous, but she ain't reading them if she's got to get on a ladder and get up there and get them. But I take your point. That looks great. So it's all dark and inky. And yeah. because that's interesting, you've got to be quite brave, haven't you? I don't think many people are as brave as Elizabeth to go cupboards, base and wall and ceiling, even if you have got a few joyfully coloured books between the two. For sure. That's a punchy move. No, that's a punchy move. And I've gone very dark in my own kitchen. I've got very, very dark green units and a dark patterned wallpaper. And actually that was because, <laughs> and people might think I'm mad, it's because it's a dark room, it's north facing, doesn't get loads of natural light. And the owners who the house we bought off did it a uh, sunny yellow in a vain hope that, that would cheer <laughs> things up. Really didn't. Um, and so I have embraced the darkness and actually it looks really dramatic and cool. So sometimes you've got to be a bit counterintuitive and look at the type of room you've got as well when it, when it comes to decorating. And my kitchen was never going to look sunny and bright and jolly. The other thing I would say in terms of quick and easy revamp is if you are, you know, frightened of painting your kitchen cupboards and it's not for everyone, you know, you've got to have wooden cupboards to start with or you can put it on laminate, but it's it's all a bit harder is, you know, you can make a great change by painting the walls, which is easier to change and quicker to, to redo or refresh if you move on from that colour. So obviously I've now had my walls mentally painted in kind of dirty yellow for about two <laughs> months. And now apparently they're going to be emerald green for a couple of months. But imagine if I'd done the cupboards, that would be harder to change. Right, but walls okay. and ceilings is, is, a, is a good quick 
revamp in a kitchen, I think. Another place where you can make a real difference is on the floor. Um, And you might argue that floors are not easy to change. It depends what's down there already. But I, you know, it's very kind of like sneered upon idea of putting a vinyl or a vinyl tile down. They're seen as being quite an outdated finish. But I think there's so many companies now doing really brilliant and convincing pattern vinyl, like um, Harvey Maria is a brand that pops to mind. Nisha Crosland, the interior designer, has done a range for them. And it's gorgeous, especially if you're buying into this sort of geometric floor tile trend. Um, And we know that those tiles, the encaustic tiles are A, expensive and B, a right pain to lay. Uh, You can get that effect with a vinyl. And that's, uh, you know, potentially something you could do as a DIY project during lockdown. And there's also um, Tico, isn't there? And they do lots of vinyls that that look like wooden floors. And it's that idea that they've photographed it on, haven't they? So it looks like it's a wooden floor, but actually when you walk on it, it's got that kind of soft bounciness of vinyl. How do you feel about a faux wood? I'm completely fine with it on tiles. We've discussed it before. I mean, you've effectively got that in your tiles in your in your holiday let, haven't you? Yes. On the yes, floor, do, tiles yeah. that look like wood. Um, I have, I've just remembered, the antico kind of wood in my downstairs loo. Oh, And it's you? great. When you, I mean, it's so, I mean, it's like a metre square, if that. I mean, you know, we have friends who can't even fit in there. So, I mean, it is the tiniest space you can imagine. I think it looks great in there. Um for me, the jewellery's out. I think it looks great and I think it is completely practical in a kitchen. So I might be tempted to go more for a geometric pattern, but, um, you know, that's an option that exists. And also painting tiles. <gasps> yes. Yeah, so again, oodles of inspo on the Facebook page. Jane Wood Mottram has done a great little chalk paint stencil and her recommendation when you're doing a, a stenciled, and again, this is mimicking that cement tile kind of idea is she says use chalk paint use a stencil and three to four coats of a quick dry seal now this isn't something I've done myself but she's done it and all I'm going to say is it looks fab and she's not alone Michelle Fallon she's been potato printing her uh, floor tiles <laughs> that looks brilliant she said enjoying lockdown she couldn't get hold of a stencil so she got the potatoes out and the other one is I've seen a styling picture again back from Annie Sloan who has paint you can use on tiles and it was styled by Marianne Cottrell who does beautiful styling and they did these tiles and she said they used a dinner plate to do sort of random you know they just painted like half a circle or just painted over the edge of a corner but they created a series of sort of random geometric shapes using a plate on a floor and I thought on a floor and that was also a really good idea again look out for the curing time so it can be difficult doing your kitchen floor if you need to use it. But maybe a smaller space like a downstairs loo, if you've got an upstairs bathroom, might be easier. Or again, wall tiles, which you don't need to touch. So I know that, you know, it can be limited and a bit frustrating at the moment during lockdown, getting materials, not being able to get the trades into our home. So I asked my husband, Tom, who's a builder, don't you know? Um, I just Have you say- mentioned that? <laughs> I just sort of mentioned, like, what does he think the sorts of things people can do to revamp their kitchen? And he said things like cleaning the grout around the tiles and the ceiling. You know, those smaller details. Oh, look oh. at that. Eye roll groan. But, he- I know, I, but it's such an important job because I tell you something else. I was researching something and it said it was talking about adding value to your home or getting a good price if you were selling. And it was one of the points mentioned was, you know, clean white grout is really key 
And I get that because, you know, you walk into a house to look around it and the kitchen or bathroom tiles and you're like, well, I don't want to buy this house. So he makes a valid point. I'm not saying I'm rushing out there with my toothbrush it's and my sexy, grout cleaner. It's not sexy, is it? It's not sexy. It's not sexy, but it is true. And he said, just get the right grout cleaning tools. There is a specific tool. Degrease it and then you can wipe some fresh new white grout on the top. Um he sort of said, you know, things like worktops and tiles can get tricky. And yes, potentially replacing a worktop, for example, is a DIY project. But you've got to consider if you're going to have to move the sink. And if you're going to start removing the sink, that might involve a plumber unless you're really competent. So it's kind of like realising that, yes, you want to change a worktop, but actually the knock-on effect might be that some of the tiles get ripped off when you move the worktop. So you've got to see a project all the way through to the end, I think, when you're looking at making these changes. Right. So there you are. I'm going to leave you with your little grout cleaning tools and your little pots of grout and we'll be round to inspect that clean grout in a couple of weeks. What's next, Sophie? So next up, we've got our popular style surgery slot. But before we get into this week's query, I wanted to say thanks to Minnie Claridge, who emailed the Great Indoors pod at gmail.com after hearing our listener from Canada who is struggling to get her husband on board with her interiors vision. Minnie says she treats her husband like a client when it comes to design. Uh, this is what she says. This started off with a discussion on what we were experts in. So as a lawyer, he gets to make all the final decisions on life admin, after asking my opinion, and I get to make all the final decisions on design after getting his opinion. I ask his opinion on how he wants to use the room, how he wants to feel, etc., rather than asking him about the colours and styles he likes. And then when I propose my ideas, I explain how it addresses his wish list. I usually ask what's the one thing he really, really wants to have and build that in. I'm very diplomatic. I rarely have to compromise. So that's how I got away with my dark moss green bathroom with gold Chicago wall lamp. <laughs> Oh, it sounds Doesn't lovely. That sound brilliant. Um, she goes on to say, my one compromise that grates was his dream item for the kitchen. It was a fridge with a water dispenser. We bought a big silver freestanding one when I wanted an integrated one. Harumph, she says. I'm with you, Minnie, on the fridge. We've got a freestanding one, although not with a water dispenser. And I really want an integrated one. And I tried selling it on the basis that one of the teenagers had left home so we could have a smaller fridge. But then, of course, he came back because we went to lockdown. <laughs> so I've lost that now because we clearly need a massive fridge. But uh, do you know what I think Minnie's proving there? I think she's proving it's all in your sales technique. It is. I'm it very is. impressed. She's got that nailed. Very impressed. <laughs> she has got that nailed. So on to this week's style surgery. What have we got this week? Hi, Kate and Sophie. My name's Sarah and I live in London. I have just painted my curtain pole the same colour as my walls. Uh, I painted the curtain pole and the rings in a state eggshell. And I think you'll know what's coming next. I rehung my curtains and now I cannot draw them because they're sticking. Have you got any advice on how I can make my curtain pole useful again? <laughs> Thanks very much. Bye. Well, I have to say I haven't come across that one before. I don't know. What are you going to say, Sophie? I expect you know something clever. No, I think painting your uh, curtain poles and, um, and the rings is actually a brilliant idea because especially a lot of the DIY shed curtain poles come in like orange pine and things like that, don't they? So it's a brilliant idea. And I have a hack. 
one that was handed down to me by my mum, which initially actually was because I had a sticky drawer. You know, those sort of, oh, I've got loads of old chest of drawers. And when the drawers get really sticky and you can't get them in and out, she recommended rubbing a candle along the runners. And as the candle wax gets compacted and kind of like buffed up as you move the drawer, your drawers glide in and out really, really well. And I think you can apply that same theory to your sticky curtain pole. So if you rub the pole and maybe even the rings with a ordinary candle, or actually you could even use a furniture polish, couldn't you? Like a wax polish. Anything that's going to create a nice polished, high sheen, waxy finish so your curtains will glide blissfully. Give it a go. That's all you can do, isn't it? Thank you so much to everyone who got in touch. Do keep sending in your style surgery questions. You can just record a voice memo on your phone and email it to thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com. And to be honest, if you just send us an old-fashioned email, we don't really mind. As always, our blogs will have more detailed info with lots of useful pictures and links to support this episode. But also do check out Kate's blog post on diversity and design. You can find that on madaboutthehouse.com. So do please rate, review and subscribe on the podcast app if you feel so inclined. We really do appreciate it. But for now, thanks so much to our sponsors, Geberit, and to our producer, Kate Taylor of Feast Collective and a extra special thank you to everybody who made a very special contribution to this episode and of course thanks to you for listening we'll see you in the great indoors